Does it feel like your prayer life is in a rut? Do you struggle to be consistent and excited about talking to your Heavenly Father? Are you tired of praying the same old things about the same old things? In our interview today, I'm talking with Don Whitney about a simple, proven approach to prayer that has the potential to transform your spiritual life for the better. Don is a former pastor who currently serves as professor of biblical spirituality and associate dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the author of Praying the Bible from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining me again on the Crossway Podcast. I'm delighted to be here, Matt. Always good to see you. Yeah, it is good. We're, we're in person right now on the campus of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's fun to get to this, do this face-to-face. Yeah, it's good to have you on my turf for a change. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're going to talk about praying the Bible and uh, sort of a simple method that you've developed over years to help people to actually pray the words of Scripture back to God. So I want to get into that in a minute, but uh, you've taught this method of prayer to groups of Christians uh, around the world for years. I wonder if you know how many times you've actually taught this material. I estimated some time ago it's it's at least 600 times. Wow. Yeah. And so do you have a, a general sense of how many people that might have represent? No, I, I really don't. I mean, I've taught it about 200 times, I would estimate, in seminary classes hmm. uh, since 1996. But... Uh, you know, I, it's the thing I'm asked to do most often, and I've been traveling since since '96 and uh, over 2,200 airplanes since 1996, wow. and most of those have been events at which I've taught praying the Bible. Yeah, so. and I've heard you say many times that this is you believe that this this simple thing about praying the Bible is kind of the main reason God put you on the earth. Yeah, I think other than preach the gospel, I think that was the main, it's the main calling of God in my life. But other than that, I think teaching people how to pray the Bible, is just, mm. I think this is why God put me on the planet. Yeah. So take us back then to when you first started to develop this approach and uh, even calling it an approach or a method almost makes it sound more complicated and more sophisticated than it is. Uh, but, but what was it? When what, what was the situation uh, that led you to first start doing this? Well, for 15 years, I pastored just 10 minutes from Crossways headquarters in Wheaton. I was in uh, in Glen Ellen, and uh, in 1985, we had a man come to our church to teach a series of meetings Sunday morning through Wednesday night. And during the weekday mornings, he was doing a Bible study for those who could come, and he was going through the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And it was, you know, good, but rather predictable stuff in the sense of he did do an exposition and then say, folks, we should pray these prayers today. And at one point, he held up his Bible and said, folks, when you pray, use the prayer book. And I can still see him doing that. And something just clicked. And I realized the whole Bible is a prayer book in the sense that we can not only pray the prayers of Paul in Ephesians, we can pray the whole letter of Ephesians, turning all of it into prayer, not just taking his prayers and making them our own. We mm, could take yeah. the whole book of Ephesians and make it our own in prayer. Yeah. And that led to eventually finding the Psalms as, I think, the easiest and best place in Scripture to do this, the narrative passages. And over time, I discovered, you know, guess what? You're not the first one to ever do this. I just kind of backed into it, not because it had been taught to me before and I tried it and, and found it meaningful. I just sort of 
you know, kind of backed into it and discovered it, then learned that it was an ancient practice in the church, then realized it's actually in the Bible in three or four places. Mm. So then what's your theory as to why you weren't taught it and why so many of us were never taught this approach to prayer? If it does have this historical pedigree in the church, uh, church history and even a biblical basis. Well, you know, Matt, we're always, uh, ultimately the fault goes back to the pulpit. And I say that as a preacher. As a preacher, yeah. Yeah, I mean, any, any uh, low point in the church, anything we've lost, anything like that that's happened is generally the fault of the pulpit. Because as one person put it, we're never more than a generation away from apostasy. Mm. So you can't expect people to do what they've never been taught to do. You can't expect people to be Christian financial stewards if they've never been taught Christian financial stewardship. You can't expect people to practice family worship if they've never been taught family worship. And uh, my other book with Crossway on family worship, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, a very conservative church. I went to a very conservative seminary. But it wasn't until years after mm. seminary that I came across the concept of praying, a, a, a concept of, of family worship. And only then did I discover that throughout Christian history, the church for 21 centuries around the world has understood that the Bible teaches family worship. And so just like with praying the Bible, I was like, where has this been? Well, where, where it's been is not in the pulpit. Mm. Yeah. And so things have to be taught from one generation to another. We take things for granted. And, uh, but we're always at step one with new believers and, and with our children. So we have to teach these things. So it hasn't been taught. And virtually every time I teach it in a local church, someone will come up to me and say something like, I've been in church all my life. Where has this been? Yeah, yeah. Because it seems so evident once you see it. And so simple. Has that ever felt discouraging to you as you've heard that over and over again? Why, why was I never told this? In one sense, yes, because it just reveals the lack of biblical teaching that's so widespread. And I, I feel a grief for that as a, as a preacher. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, in the Old Testament, we read, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm biblical teaching. And so that's just another reflection of that, and especially on something as essential as prayer. Hmm. So then what was it that got you into teaching this then in the context of the local church and, and now you're on a seminary and you're teaching students how to do this? First, it was the fulfillment and satisfaction of praying this way in my own life. I wanted to share this, first of all, as a pastor. But once I had taught it in the church where I was, it was another 10 years before I would be a seminary professor and, and traveling with any kind of consistency and teaching it, having the opportunity to teach it to different groups frequently. I mean, you don't teach the same thing to your church congregation as a local church pastor all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they might get, they might be asking for something. Yeah. It might get new. a little bit stale. However, if we come, come back to it, I, I do think it's something that you can model like in your pastoral prayers mm. and, and be sort of constantly teaching new people who come and reminding your people who have heard it before uh, by example what's going on. So you, you need to find a way as a pastor, once uh, you've taught something, to, to have an ongoing teaching about it. Mm. We don't want to just forget something that we've taught that's you know really significant. Mm. 
so that's when I would begin traveling, teaching it in seminary, in my classes every semester, teaching it in local churches uh, almost, uh, you know, every three or four weeks. Um, that's when I began to uh, have the opportunity to share it more frequently. So then give us like the two-minute elevator pitch for praying the Bible. How would you explain that to someone who is like, I don't know what you mean. That sounds interesting to me. I'm struggling in my prayer life. Yeah. Help me. Well, I think there is an almost universal struggle that looks like this. When people do pray, they tend to say the same old things about the same old things. Now, to pray about the same old things is not the problem. Our lives tend to consist pretty much of the same old things. Your family, your future, your finances, your work or schoolwork, church or ministry, and the current crisis in your life. Mm. There's almost nothing in your life that doesn't relate to one of those six things. So if daily you're going to pray about your life, you tend to pray about the same old things. That's not a problem. That's normal. The problem comes when we say the same old things about the same old things. Mm. And that can pretty quickly become boring. That leads to your mind wandering constantly in prayer because it's very difficult for words without variety not to become words without meaning. Mm. So a simple permanent biblical solution to that is to pray the Bible. And by that I mean you go through a passage of Scripture, particularly a psalm, and you just turn those words into the words of your prayer. So in the 23rd Psalm, which is so familiar, that's why I usually use that as my first illustration, you read, the Lord is my shepherd. And you say, Lord, I, something like this, I thank you that you are my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. You've shepherded me all of my life. Now would you shepherd me in this a decision I have to make about my future. Show me your will. And Lord, would you shepherd my family? Cause them to be your sheep too. May they love you as their shepherd, as I love you as my shepherd. And uh, would you shepherd our under-shepherds at the church? Shepherd them as they shepherd us. And basically whatever comes to mind when you read the Lord is my shepherd. Mm. Then when nothing else comes to mind, you go to the next line. I shall not want. And you pray what that prompts. So it's either praying what is prompted by the text or often it's just using the vocabulary of the text to wrap that around, you know, what's on your heart to pray about. And if you come to verse, you don't understand it, fine, skip it. You come to verse, you understand it perfectly, it just doesn't prompt anything to pray about, fine, skip it and go to the next one. And that method can expand or contract to however much or however little time you have. Mm. So if you've got four hours, you just keep turning the page. You never run out of anything to say. And back to where we started, you don't repeat yourself. So when you pray the Bible, you never again say the same old things about the same old things. And is, is that repetition, is that the, the problem that you think is at the core of why so many of us struggle to pray so often? I think it is. It, 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 it tends to be boring. That's not always boring, but, and I've, I've met, you know, a very small handful of people who say, I say the same things every day and it's not boring to me. Mm. And so I understand there's that group of people, but nearly everyone else tells me that it becomes boring. Their minds wander uh, because of that. Again, words without variety become words without meaning. So, uh, you don't need any notes to remember this. Yeah. You don't need any other resources. You just open your Bible and talk to God about what you see there. And that's why people say, why have I not heard this before? This is so profoundly simple. Mm. And 
you just pray about what's in the text, and you'll pray about the same old things because that's your life. But you won't pray the same old things about them. So I just, instead of saying, bless my family, in Psalm 23, I said, shepherd my family. You know, make them your sheep. That biblical imagery just transforms that. So my love for my family puts the feeling back into it, if you will, when it's expressed in new, new words. Mm. Because otherwise, you can be praying about it to the most fascinating person in the universe, about the most important things in your life, and be bored to death if you say the same old things. Yeah. But you say fresh things about the things that are most important to you, and it, it energizes your prayer life. Yeah, and I'm struck that it's not, it's not merely about the, the fresh words, but right. saying something like, shepherd my family versus bless my family, yeah. it, it does sort of take on a, a new meaning, a richer meaning, a different meaning, yeah. and it, it, helps, it helps to kind of engage my affections more. Yes, and now I do think just having fresh words is, is helpful. But there's a difference. When we're praying the Bible. These aren't merely different words than I prayed yesterday. These are inspired words. There's a supernatural quality mm. to these words. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit. They are life. These are the words we're using, not merely different words than yesterday. Yeah. So I think many of us would, uh, if we've ever prayed Scripture, even if we haven't thought of it this way as, as a method that we want to use consistently, um, the Psalms are probably the place where we've maybe done that a little bit. Help us understand what it looks like to pray the words of Scripture from a different part of the Bible that maybe is a little less obvious. Yeah, I think the next easiest place, rather than the Psalms, is one of the New Testament or in the New Testament letters, and I think that's the case because with many of the Psalms, so often the very words of the psalmist are your own very words. When the psalmist says, "How long, O Lord, will I cry and you will not hear?" Sometimes that's exactly what you want to say. You don't modify anything. Right. But in the New Testament letters, there's sort of a transition that often happens. So if you're reading um, uh, a passage uh, like normally I will take people to a passage they don't know very well because I don't want to just cherry pick well-known passages like Psalm 23, but I am going to do it right here in this case to, for illustration. So if I read Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and call according to his purpose and so forth. If I'm going to pray through that, I'm going to be praying something like, Lord, I believe this. I don't see any good in me getting this diagnosis. I don't see any good at what happened to me yesterday. I don't see any good that's happening at my work, but I trust you because I love you and I'm called according to your purposes. You are working this out for my ultimate good and your glory somehow. Mm. So you see there's a little bit of translation yeah. kind of that takes place there. Right. But it's still I'm, I'm taking the teaching, the words, the theology and the vocabulary of that verse and using that to direct yeah. My prayers. You make a point in the book, and I've heard you say this uh, in person as well, just that um, not to be too uh, worried about what these passages might prompt. Like you, you give a funny example in the book where if I read uh, the word Mark in Scripture, like, God, you do not mark our iniquities, and you think of your friend named Mark, yeah. uh, then you should pray for him. Let yeah. that prompt that prayer. And I think for a lot of people, it'd be like, oh, that, that sounds like we're misusing the Bible in that case, right. or that's not allowed. But you yeah. would say, no, that's allowed. 
Yes, and I, I mean, I'm very keen on the idea of interpreting the scriptures properly. We have a, a required class at seminary. It's one of the most important classes. It's called hermeneutics on interpreting the scripture correctly. And we never have the right to read anything into the mean, meaning of the text to impress our meaning on it. Um, you may have heard that term in church before called eisegesis, reading into the text what you want. Versus exegesis. Right, which is digging out the meaning God has already put there. So in just about every other kind of coming to the Bible I can think of, reading it devotionally, reading it to interpret it, to teach to others, our first responsibility is what do the words actually say and what do those words mean? Only then do we apply them and so forth. But that's not the way I'm coming to the Bible in this case because my primary activity is not Bible study, it's prayer. Mm. So I'm primarily praying, but I'm glancing at the text during my prayers. And if what's in the text is, if the text prompts me to pray about something, uh, it's legitimate because the Bible teaches us to pray about everything. Mm. So everything that comes to mind when I'm reading the Bible is something I ought to pray about anyway. So even if it has nothing to do with the text, so I'm not encouraging people to look for some weird outlandish meaning. What's the craziest thing that I could possibly relate to this text? I'm just saying if that happens, mm. it's okay to pray about that thing. Yeah, don't let that throw you off and think you're, you're, you're making a right. mistake here. And here's why that's important, Matt, is because I've pastored a lot of people who grew up in a tradition where they were told, oh, you've not been to seminary, you're not trained, so you just don't spend a lot of time in the Bible. You might misunderstand. Mm. You, might, you might get something wrong. And I've actually pastored people who loved God but were almost afraid to get into the Bible, afraid they would misinterpret something and somehow mess something up. And so, no, we want people in the Bible as much as possible. Mm. So I, I encourage them pastorally in this regard. Whatever comes to mind, talk to God about it. Yeah. Because I have enough confidence in the Word and in the Spirit that if they'll pray like this, sort of verse by verse, what will come to mind most of the time is going to be pretty close to what the text is about. That's what I was going to say. Is I've heard you make the, the case that over time, what you've observed with people is yeah. that praying through the Bible and, and not being overly concerned about uh, getting into the hermeneutics every time that that does have a net effect of helping people to actually be more biblical in how they're thinking. Yeah, exactly. Because if people don't use the Bible, I guarantee you they're going to pray amiss. Uh, praying without the Bible tends to be very problematic quite mm. often. But if they're praying the Bible, their words are increasingly, the words of their prayers are increasingly shaped by the words of the Scripture, by the theology of the Scripture. And so that leads them to pray more faithfully and understand the Scriptures more uh, uh, accurately. And what better way to learn the true meaning of the text if you don't have any other helps? It's just you and your Bible. What better way to learn than to pray through it verse by verse, asking the author of the text, uh, you know, to help you understand mm. it. Is there a wrong way to pray the Bible? Well, yes. I mean, a person can like take a passage, uh, uh, a promise, and uh, uh, especially maybe uh, about prosperity in some sense and turn that into a very selfish prayer that's almost devoid of of God and pleasing God and mm -hmm. obeying God and, and become very self-centered with it so sure but the same can be true with just in trying to interpret the Bible uh, I mean we're sinful creatures we can mess up anything there's no foolproof way to do anything with the Bible or the Christian life mm -hmm. um, but Remember, our emphasis is on prayer. We're not here primarily talking about correct exegesis, although I'm fully for that. 
but I can't think of any way to ensure more biblically faithful prayers than to mm. pray the Bible line by line. So that might be a caution is as you're praying the Bible, um, don't confuse that with careful study and right. don't, you don't have an experience that you feel like was positive and encouraging and uplifting spiritually with the Bible and think, well, that just means it's valid, whatever I interpreted that to mean. Yes, once again, we never have a right to misuse the Bible, and our experience is not the final judge of it. You know, the Bible is the evaluator of our experience, but I just don't want people to be afraid to pray the Bible because they are afraid they don't understand the Bible very well. Mm. What would you say are the top two or three questions that you get asked after you teach a session on this from people? Well, one question I get is, well, what about the model prayer? Jesus says, when you pray, say. Okay, it's twice in the Gospels. And once he says, when you pray, say, I think legitimizing our use of the prayer verbatim, saying that prayer word for word. Mm. But in the other case, it's a little more clear that it's to be a, a model prayer, an example of the elements that should be in our prayer lives. And we know that's how the apostles took it. Because there are other prayers in the New Testament after this, and none of them merely repeats the model prayer. Right, that's a good point. So I often use it, and Luther has a famous treatise on this about turning the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase into a launching place for our prayers. Um, but if a person will pray the Bible consistently they will consistently pray all the elements in the model prayer. Hmm. Now, maybe not every day. Like Psalm 150 primarily is about praise, right? And Psalm 51 primarily about confession. But if you daily pray through passages of Scripture, you're going to be consistently praying through all the elements of the model prayer that Jesus gave us. Hmm. What do you think about the uh, another kind of famous model for prayer that is often... Uh, shared and promoted in evangelical context, now, the Acts model, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Have you ever tried things like that? And how, how would you say they compare to uh, what, we are, what we're talking about today, praying the words of the Bible itself? That was going to be the second common question mm. uh, I get, the ACTS acrostic. Uh, well, that is fine as far as it goes. The problem is, after a while, that becomes the same old thing. So people say, okay, A, adoration. Begin your prayer with adoration. How am I going to adore the Lord today? Well, I guess I'll adore him the same way I did yesterday because I can't think of new ways to adore the Lord or I'm too tired or I don't have the time. And so that tends to become the same old things. Well, good news, you don't have to think of new ways to adore the Lord. He's given us 150 chapters in the middle of the Bible, mm. how he wants to be adored in the book of Psalms. So even if a person were to say, all right, I, I agree that I don't want to say the same old things about the same old things, but I don't know about this praying the Bible method, but I'll just have variety every day my, myself. Okay, great. So today they adore the Lord this way. Okay, tomorrow how they're going to adore the Lord. You can't do it the same way you did yesterday because you got to be fresh, right? Okay, two days from now, you got to come up with another way. You're going to do this 365 times this year? I don't think so. You know, who's got the time? Who's got the creative energy to do that? And furthermore, we know that the praise in the Bible, the adoration, is acceptable to God. He inspired that. So just open your Bible, talk to God about what he's inspired there, mm -hmm. what, what you find. And it's just so 
easy. <laughs> it's just so easy. So uh, let me let me pick a, an example from the Bible that might be the hardest that that someone could think of. A Christian, yeah. they might be thinking in their mind, okay, yeah, but what about the Book of Leviticus? Yeah, how would you pray through the Book of Leviticus? All right, this is going to take some biblical knowledge that a lot of people won't have. Let me quickly say. Once you've learned how to do this, and as your knowledge of the Bible grows, you can pray through any part of the Bible. The, so you, the, would, you, would, you would say, yes, firmly, you can do this in every, any part of Scripture. Yeah, even the genealogies, you know, I mean, in anything, if you have the biblical knowledge to do so. Most people are going to find it simpler to do it in the more devotional passages like the Psalms, the New Testament letters, and so forth. And I almost always use the Psalms myself. I've been doing this for, what, almost 40 years, mm. and... I still use the Psalms almost every day. Um, yes, you can pray through any part of the Bible, but with Leviticus, for example, you have to know something about symbolism. You have to know about these kinds of things, how they point to Christ, how they're fulfilled in Christ, which means you have to know your New Testament a little bit. Uh, if nothing else, your prayer can be, Lord, show me how this relates. Uh, give me insight. But yeah, there are passages that are intended for different purposes, different genres of Scripture, we, we say. And so those kinds of passages aren't so much about devotional uh, instruction as they are about more doctrinal bases for things that are going to come later. Yeah, or, or even the history of Israel, right. where we kind of see how God's plan is unfolded there. Yeah, exactly. But to, let's go back to the genealogies just to show the universality if you will meditate on how to do that. So you read nine chapters in First Chronicles, you know, of genealogies. Okay, maybe you can thank God for your spiritual heritage. My parents were believers. Thank, I'm thankful to the Lord for being raised in the Christian mm -hmm. home and what a difference that made. You know, I was taking a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, nine months before I was born. <laughs> and reflecting on all these things is something to be grateful to God about. Mm -hmm. And then I can pray for my children, grandchildren, generations come I will never see. Lord, may I have an what I do have an impact for a thousand uh, generations. And uh, to see all these unique names, people that have been long forgotten were it not being in the Bible, that God knows every individual. He knows every person I ever see, and, you know, he knows their names. And, I mean, there are a number of things you can say uh, the genealogies can, can prompt. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk and, and just hearing your own thought process through that. Uh, you, you've made the point that praying the Bible is very simple. It's easy for us to do and get started with. But would you say that you can still get better at it with practice over time? Oh, Absolutely. The Psalms, as I said, are so easy because often the very words of the Psalms are the very words you want to pray. And often you don't discover that till you kind of scan a Psalm or two. Oh, yeah, look at that. that. That's where I am today. I didn't realize it till I read those words, but that's what I want to mm -hmm. pray today. So that's so easy. But then you, you learn, okay, how could I do this in passages where I'm going to have to think a minute? Is this something I can thank God for here? Something I can ask? Um, yeah, I mean... I'm still looking at passages and I have to pause. Okay, how would I pray about this passage? Mm, yeah. So you've mentioned the Psalms a number of times and, and said that you start there oftentimes when you teach this. And in the book, you actually have a section where you, you, you offer like a Psalm a day mm -hmm. prayer guide. 
could you walk us through what that is and how you use that in your own life? Yeah, it's something called the Psalms of the Day, and it's not original with me, but it's based upon the idea that we have 150 Psalms and that they're generally 30 days in the month, and so that divides out five times. Or to put it another way, if on the first of the month you read five Psalms, on the second of the month you read five different Psalms, on the third of the month you read five different Psalms, at the end of 30 days you would have read all 150 Psalms. Well, that's a great practice. I know people who do that. I'm told Billy Graham used to do that. That's not really what I advocate, though I'm, I'm all for that. But when it comes to praying the Bible, what I suggest is, uh, what I suggest is that you take five of those Psalms quickly scan them in 30 seconds and pick one to pray through. And what this avoids, and as I'm about to get into a brief mathematical explanation here, people say, <laughs> I hate math, I'm not going to introduce prayer, math into my prayer life. That what this helps avoid is just thumbing through your Bible looking for a psalm that you like. And mm -hmm. you look at one and say, nah, I don't like that one. You turn up and nah, did that one two days ago. Nah. And you end up spending 15 minutes just trying to find a psalm. Well, you're losing momentum, right? And we all need all the help we can get in our devotion life. We don't need any friction. Mm -hmm. So this helps avoid that. So the reason it's called Psalms of the Day is the first thing, the hardest part of this is figuring out what day is it. <laughs> if you can do that, maybe even looking at your watch or your phone, yeah. okay, you say, well, today's the 20th, okay, on the 20th of the month, the 20th Psalm is the first one you look at. So what's the day of the month? That's the first Psalm. Then you add 30 to get the next one. Why 30? 30 days in the month. So I add 30 and 20, it gives me 50. Hmm. That's my second Psalm. 20 is my first one, add 30 to get 50, and just keep adding 30 till you get five. So 30 more is makes 80, 30 more is 110, 30 more is Psalm 140. Wow. So on the 20th of the month, doesn't matter what month it is, whether it's the 20th of, of May, the 20th of June, the 20th of July, so doesn't matter. So it's just matter. the day of the month. The day of the month. On the 20th of the month, the Psalms of the day are always Psalms 20, 50, 80, 110, 140. Take 30 seconds to quickly scan. And Matt, it's uncanny how one of them will just jump off the page. Mm. And you'll say, that's exactly where I am right now. Yeah. So you don't even need a sheet. There's not even a, you do provide a sheet and, you know, there's, that's a helpful tool, I suppose. But you're kind of saying you don't even need that. You can just kind of quickly do it in your head and figure out what Psalms are. Yeah. And some people, I mean, there's a, an appendix in the back of the book, Praying the Bible. It has a little chart in yeah. there. There's actually a free app out there and it's called Five, spell it out, F-I-V-E, Five Psalms that automatically does this for you. Yeah. And so... I just find it extremely helpful. And the other benefit is it systematically takes me through all 150 Psalms. They're all equally inspired. They're not all equally easy to pray through, but they're all equally inspired and equally worthy of prayer. And so I, I want to be exposed to them all. Otherwise, I tend to come to my favorites all the time and perpetually overlook others. Mm, that's so good. So helpful. Maybe as a final question, I wonder if you could speak to the pastor or small group leader, Bible study leader. What are some tips that you would offer them if they wanted to try to lead a group through this and help them to understand and catch a vision for praying the Bible? Well, frankly, the first thing I would do is say, get the book, Praying the Bible, because that has all my notes. Mm. Uh, when I teach on this, and I've done so again approximately 600 times, I'll usually do this if I do it in a local church setting in about two hours or so. And everything I say is in that book. So that's the first thing. 
second, uh, there there's a leader's guide that can uh, they can get at crossway.org. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can download that directly right here. Okay, so there, great. That has a lot of, uh, you know, how-to. That gives a four- to six-session plan on teaching this in your local church step-by-step. But the most important thing I would say that when someone is teaching this, whether they have two hours or five minutes, give the people a chance to try it right then, as soon as you've taught them. And you've shown that here's, here's what it is, here's what it looks like in Psalm 23, here's what it looks like in New Testament letter, and, you know, as we've done here today. Here's what it looks like now. I want you to try it. Pick a psalm. doesn't have to be one of the psalms of the day. Just pick a psalm, and I'm going to give you certain amount of time. I usually do seven minutes to give hmm. people a chance to so not pray. Not a lot through. of time. Not a lot of time because, frankly, in their daily prayer life, it might be embarrassing to ask when was the last time you spent seven unbroken minutes. Hmm. I'm also constricted by the amount of time in the local church setting. You know, two hours is a long time to ask people to sit nowadays. And so seven minutes with everything else I try to do is about as much time as I can fit in. But it's, it's, it's reasonable. And so I give them a chance to actually try it for seven minutes. And then after that, I say, how did it go? And we have some feedback and, and I, I teach in the midst of that in, in response to their feedback. But I said all that to say the most important piece of advice I could give to people who are teaching it is give the people a chance to try it right then. As soon as they've taught them, say, now you're going to try this. Pick a psalm. I'm going to give you seven minutes. Go. Mm. If you don't do that, my experience is people walk out, you know, knitting their brow, pursing their lips. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a real good idea. I'll, I'll have to try that yeah. someday. Yeah. And they never do. But if you'll have them try it right then, I've seen countless lives instantly, permanently transformed before my very eyes. They see how easy it is. Mm. I, I've seen many people weep. You know, where has this been all my life? Why haven't mm. I been taught this? I felt like I was actually talking with God. And Matt, that's what prayer is, isn't it? It is a real conversation with a real person. But you experience prayer. It's a real conversation with a real person when you pray the Bible. Mm. Have there been moments in your life, you know, in the, the decades since you first started doing this, where you feel like you've kind of come to a fresh realization, maybe forgot for a season how significant this is, and, and through praying the Bible, you've kind of been reawakened almost to it? Yeah, but I think that's true with, with most all spiritual disciplines that relate to the Word. Sometimes meditation on Scripture is kind of dry, and then other times it's you're afraid to open your eyes, afraid you know God will be standing right mm. before you. We have those seasons. Uh, Puritans refer to them as spiritual dryness or spiritual desertions, actually, what we often call spiritual dryness. Uh, sometimes the spiritual disciplines, even prayer and the intake of the Word, are like medicine. You do it because you know you need it. It's good for you. You don't have any feelings associated with it. And other times it's like dessert, mm. you know, and, and you enjoy it so much. So, yeah, there are those seasons, I think, which are normal in all Christian lives where prayer is tough, maybe even for several days, even using praying the Bible. Mm. But I've done this long enough to know that even in those dry times, it's not going to get better by not praying the Bible. Mm. If I'm going to experience God, it's going to be through His Word. That's the most predictable place. I mean, he meets me spontaneously in unexpected ways and unexpected places. But the most regular places we can expect to meet him are in the means he has given us through which he reveals himself 
and that is his word and, and like praying his word mm. encounters with his word yeah well don thank you so much for helping us to uh to maybe discover for the first time something that is is really old and really established uh, but is also so fresh and encouraging well i enjoyed it man i always enjoy talking about praying the bible it still gets me excited after hundreds of times it's always good to see you and thank you for the opportunity mm, thanks that was Don Whitney on The Antidote to a Boring Prayer Life. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Praying the Bible. Pick up your copy of the print book for 30% off or get the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.